I'm Anastasia, and this is Vibrant Life Unlocked. Here we have intimate and insightful conversations about everything that makes life more vibrant. The energy, the power, the adventure to look at life with a fresh perspective, while giving you the support to develop a method and strategy to live life to its fullest. This is Vibrant Life Unlocked. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a fantastic guest. Her name is Stephanie Bojuna-Mazoe, and she's an international high-performing fashion and sports business enthusiast who was born and raised in France and lived in five countries around the world. She's a team energizer, people-first leader, meaningful relationships builder who lived around the world with her family and who also happened to speak three languages. Welcome, Steph. Hi, Anastasia. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you. And you have a unique perspective as someone who literally lived and worked around the world. I want to bring in your international flavor. Can you talk about all the countries where you lived over the years and also what country, what culture stood out to you as the most vibrant? Ooh, that's an interesting question. So I would say my way actually of living a vibrant life is to live in different countries around the world and immerse myself in cultures that I'm not familiar with, at least at the start. So that would definitely be also a way for me to keep my life vibrant. So I have studied in Australia. I also have lived uh, many years in the UK. I spent 10 years of my life in London. I lived in Germany for over eight years. And uh, obviously uh, now since uh, almost three years, I live in uh, North America in the Pacific Northwest. And obviously for 18 years of my life prior to that, as you said, I'm born and raised in France. So my roots are in France. To answer your question, uh, it's a tough one because I feel every culture has vibrant aspect and has positives and negatives and every individual I would say would have their own interpretation. So these are my own interpretation. I would say North America is very vibrant in the sense of how friendly people are and how welcoming people are and casual people are. I feel it's a very positive culture in general that celebrates achievements and the sense of community as well is very strong. So they're very vibrant in that sense. On the other hand, I would say the French culture is very vibrant in how they enjoy the all aspects of life. The holiday, taking time off, spending time around the table to share a meal and good food and good wine and talking for hours uh, with your friends and family. So it's hard to choose. I would say really every country I've been to has some vibrant elements to it. So Yes, and it's so interesting. Like you said, the French culture of just being in the moment. I would assume that Italian culture is similar to that. Italian and Spanish to a certain extent, I would say. The more Mediterranean you go, I think the more it gets like this. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed having worked in different countries is I would say in the US or even in Germany, people are quite early birds. So they start working. I mean, the, the city wakes up earlier, everything starts earlier and you see a lot of people out there and I remember thinking that was a surprise to start with, because if you go in Paris very early, as an example, it's very quiet and you're like, where is everybody? And that could be as late as 7 a.m., which, you know, for other places at 6 
everything's buzzing already. So that would definitely be a difference, but the schedule of the day is just different and the use of time is different. So in some of the more Mediterranean culture, people start the day later and everything gets done later. The workday finishes later, the dinner starts later and bedtime starts later. And as a result, the next day starts later again and, you know, you repeat. So people spend their time as well a bit differently. I would say like in certain, again, I go back to Mediterranean country because I think it's more close to France, Spain, Italy and the further south you go. People like spending time with family and friends around food and drinks and really spend that quality time together. So I would say eating and drinking is not just a means to an end in the sense that, well, I need to stay hydrated and I need to remain fed. So that's why I'm eating. It's like really part of the culture and sharing something together. And some of these meals, I mean, in my use, we used to do a lot of Sunday gathering meals with family and those meals could last up to five hours. And it's not that you eat the nonstop for five hours. It just seems stretches because people really take their time and it's a way of socializing. And it's interesting that this is common to have this sort of tradition like Sunday, whether it's lunch or dinner. So every Sunday, you don't wait for a big birthday celebration, right? So every Sunday and you just cook and this is just a part of life. It's often a family day. I mean, one of the big differences uh, between and I can't put Europe all together because in Europe, there's a lot of differences and the UK is maybe a bit closer to Australia and the US, for example. But in certain countries in Europe, Sundays are still the day where you do not work. Everything is shut and it's a day for family and friends and relationships and everything is shut. So you really do spend quality time with people because, well, first, there's no other options because you can't go shopping. <laughs> Good point. So that's kind of a big difference for sure. It's like a, a very different day to the rest of the week in that sense, because you can't have the same activities necessarily. Yes, it's kind of strategic reasons why it's happening at home. And you probably have to cook pretty elaborate meals. Well, yes, we do like our cooking. And I don't know, sometimes a simple meal can come across as elaborate. So I think you can keep it simple as long as it's good produce and, you know, everything is made from scratch. It can usually be delicious, even if it's simple. It doesn't have to be Michelin star type of standard. Like that's not how every French family cooks. Yeah, good to know. And as far as conversations, like, is it common to discuss things like what's happening at work or is it sort of a forbidden subject at the dinner table? No, no, you, you talk about everything. Like you talk about work, you talk about family problems. One of the very common thing in that I have experienced that's quite different in any other place I've lived in, in France, we love talking about politics and doing debates. I guess Italian probably are close to that too. They get very animated around the table. And I've seen my own family. I've often been saying to people, can you stop shouting to one another? But it's not really a fight. It's very animated. And they talk about politics and they, it really becomes big debates around the table. And uh, that's very frequent. And I think to a foreigner who might not even understand what is being discussed, it can come across a bit of <laughs> what is going on here, you know? <laughs> so as I said, like um, the early morning, early birds, late morning for more the, the French side, the friendliness aspect and the amazing sense of service here in America is 
positively surprising like it's on another level it feels like they can accommodate you for anything and uh in france we have a saying which is uh, the customer is king but here you they really truly live by that saying whereas i would say in france it's not always the case <laughs> especially like in restaurants sometimes and so forth i would say uh, the american way as well is super sporty i mean you can see how sport is embedded in the culture here which obviously i'm a fond of because i work in a sport industry and i love sport and it's a little bit less in Europe. Like I would say sport is a little bit separate from education. So it's kind of a side hobby. And there's some people who are really into sport, but it's not as embedded in the culture as it is here where families dedicate their whole weekend to seeing their kids play sport. And it's all about trying to become really a good athlete to try and get a scholarship and so forth. So you can see it's really part of the system. So. That's definitely been a, an interesting um, discovery here. The holiday aspect was very interesting for me. So coming from Europe, very often you start the calendar year and you're like, okay, I have my set number of days of holiday. I'm looking at what national holiday we have this year that fall on a, on a given day. Because in France, for example, if the holiday falls on a Sunday, too bad. You don't get it. They don't move it to the Monday. So you try and look at what are the bridge weekend you're going to get and so forth. And you usually start planning your holiday for the full year on how you're going to spend your allocated day across the year. X amount is summer and so forth. I have a wedding there, etc. And here I've seen that people in America are much more reactive. So they know how much holiday they get, but they tend to not necessarily plan the whole year ahead. And it's a little bit more last minute. And uh, I've noticed a bit more anxiety in taking time off, whereas in France and in Europe in general, I would say holiday are sacred kind of moments. And it's uh, completely normal to take at least two weeks holiday in a row in summer, if not three. A lot of my friends, for them, it's a bare minimum to take three weeks in summer. Otherwise, they wouldn't even consider this a summer break. And we're talking about friends that in high power position and the executives. And yet, do you think it's because they have a lot of confidence in their team? Or is it just sort of, it's just, they don't even think about that because this is just the way of life. Because I think in America, it's like, well, if I'm gone two weeks, everything is going to fall apart. That's it. I think it's a different mindset. So I'd like to say that they all trust their team and they feel confident that everybody can cover. But you know what happens as well is in summer in particular, a lot of people take holiday at the same time, right? So things get very quiet, but across the board. So I wouldn't say the country shuts down. That, that's very extreme, but it's definitely a calm down moment culturally as well. So it's really an established holiday moment uh, across July and August. And so it's kind of a norm. It's kind of established, accepted and unexpected. I think for people, it's normal and it's a need. And that's, I think, what makes them be better at their job maybe as well when they come back because they're fully refreshed and they had a real break physically, mentally and so forth. So I think it's kind of a, a different, a very cultural difference because here I can see people are exactly thinking, oh, you know, what's going to happen if I don't check my emails for a whole week? Oh my goodness, this can't happen. And I started feeling this way too. So coming here, I was like, oh gosh, I starting having anxiety being off and feeling like, oh, I just need to check that everything's in order. So, and it's not good because then you're not even fully relaxed and enjoying yourself when you are in your time off because you're kind of anxious. 
everything will be slower in the summer, right? It's not the same. So it's a special time of the year. So some things might not even get done because it's summer and people are not even in Paris, let's say, right? Or everybody's traveling. As another example, I mean, it is not uncommon in Europe, especially again, yeah, maybe France and South, the thousand countries, but that certain businesses shut down for like a store, a retailer will shut down for three weeks and you'll have, hi, we're on holiday, we'll be back on that date. And uh, certain factories even completely shut down their activity. So the whole factory community is on holiday for a month in summer. It's a little bit like Chinese New Year in, Ch in China, like a Chinese New Year is a sacred moment and a holiday and factories shut down, they're all shut. And I've worked with factories to produce product and it's an established moment. And you know, there is no activity in that time of year and you've got to deal with it, get it done before or after. And we actually think of Chinese culture as like just basically robots that don't stop. Right. And yet like they do, they shut down and they take this vacation. Sounds like U.S. is the only country that you have lived, right, and personal experience that is kind of like in its own area. Do you think we will ever be able to change that? I don't know, because I feel and again, I am not an expert, you know, I've lived here only three years, but I think it's it's a little bit related. I, I'm connecting it all to the culture of performance. People want to perform and it's not just work, like it's performing at work, being successful at business, make money, but also being successful in sport, right? Succeed in sport. I think that's what makes the American culture successful in that sense, because they're very driven, energetic, and they're driven by becoming successful. But maybe that's one of the flaws is that they don't pause, they have anxiety if they pause and they don't stop for a moment because they feel like, no, you can't, you've got to always move and, and perform. But that's my humble observation. So there's pros and cons because one of the pros I would say here is that the confidence of people in a positive way is built right from the young ages. I have two kids and uh, I have moved around with them. So I've also seen the difference in education. And for example, in France, we're very academic and it's really about not talking very much. Listen to me. I am the teacher. You just sit there and listen, right? Exactly. So it's very like this. And it's all about absorbing and remembering lots of things and being very good in writing and so forth. But when it comes to oral expression and being comfortable in public speaking and being confident in your own body and, and your own opinions. Yeah, so that is not very strong at all. And on the uh, on the flip side here, I feel the kids are brought up in that way. They're brought up in believing in themselves, in expressing themselves, in performing in public, in any arts, shape or form, whether it's sport, theater, music, and in presenting, you know, project in front of the class. And you can see it then later on, because in business, you can see American colleagues have worked in very international environments and American colleagues are usually the most amazing public speakers. You know, they're very comfortable and it's quite inspiring to watch. Yeah, I think it does. Like here in America, there's just such wonderful culture of empowering our kids from early age. Be who you are, like don't try to mold into something. Yeah, and I really like that. Speaking of kids, as a mom, 
And you touched on that a little bit early in our conversation, Steph. You did mention that it's interesting how in America, say if you're a parent of a couple of kids, your entire weekend is all about your kids, right? Like the birthday parties, the this, the this, and that. So how does it work in France? That's quite different. So again, without sounding too cliche, but that is one difference I've noticed, not just in America, but um, I think the French in particular are very, they're good or good. Some people might say it's not good, but uh, they're pretty strict about putting boundaries and for the parents to make time for themselves, like adult time. So as adults become parents, they don't suddenly just become parents. They really create some clear delineation and still have a social life and do dinner parties with no children at all and have babysitters. And they definitely create like a pretty drastic line. Like usually in France, you will hardly meet anyone who said they're sleeping with their babies, even when they're just born. Like they, the baby goes straight into their bedroom. So there's a separation. And I've seen that in other culture, once you become a parent, it almost takes over you being an adult, right? Your identity. So it's like your parent is your entire identity. A little bit. I mean, there's pros to it because it's amazing to see how much parents do for their kids and the investment that goes in birthday parties. I've never seen birthday parties like this when I was a kid in France. I mean, crazy. The support they give children to take them to sports. So going back to the sport culture, that is amazing, but it's... It's a huge amount of time and me, I've definitely been going in between because my older son played soccer for quite a bit here. And uh, at some point I just couldn't handle it anymore. I felt like all I was doing was driving around to all the soccer practices and soccer tournament and games that were three hours drive away from here. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is my Saturday. I'm not gonna go all the way there, game and back. And then where is my weekend going in there? So. Right. It's a balance. And again, that's me personally, but it's, you know, I need a bit of both. Like I can't just give this time all to, to these activities. So what advice would you give to moms who are here in America and they feel the pressure that all other moms are there at every practice, at every, you know, what advice would you give to them? How to have more balance? Yeah, I would say, and it's easier said than done, and I put myself first in there, but I was like, I would say, stop feeling guilty and putting that pressure on yourself and be a bit more selfish. Think about yourself too. And I think kids are, they'll understand. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, the parents are the ones who probably build and establish those expectations with the children. So it's like, you know, how do you almost unbuild those expectations or tone them down and create that balance? Because I would say a mom needs time also for herself or a dad as well for her well-being, whatever that is for her. And then there's nothing wrong in that and there shouldn't be any guilt in that. And try to feel confident about that decision because I've been there myself. So when we stopped the soccer because I couldn't take my kid anymore because the schedule didn't allow for my job plus the driving and my husband worked at night, we stopped and he's doing other activities. And I felt really bad at the start. I'm like, oh my gosh, I should prioritize that. But I decided not to, it just didn't work. And I was suffering too much from it. And we found other solution and everybody's happy. So try not to feel guilty and try not to look left, right and center. Do what feels right for you. But easier said than done, I understand. Moms put a lot of pressure on themselves and I do the same. <laughs> 
And I'm sure that there are dads in the same category that they feel, I think that there is this guilt and it's so rare when parents actually would openly say to other couples and say, I have zero time for myself and this is a problem. Like they will say it like as a badge of honor. Guess what? I have zero time for myself. I'm such a great mom versus do you have any suggestions? Like I, I actually need to have some boundaries. So I know who I am as a, you know, as a professional, as a woman, as a wife, as a partner, not just as a mom. Yeah, exactly. And you want couple time too. So where do you build this in? And I know our life are busier than ever. My husband often reminds me of how we grew up and we grew up in a very different environment to how we're raising kids today. And I would say that's kind of a commonality across all countries. It feels like the children are more king than before. And before parents wouldn't dedicate their entire weekend to entertain the children, the children would have to play more on their own and parents do other things. So it's often a good reminder. I'm like, yeah, no, that's true. I didn't have, that wasn't how weekends were when I grew up, but things have shifted, I think in general. So it's hard, you know, you can't just say, oh, that's how it was in the older days. We should do the same, <laughs> but there's probably something to remember from it and also evolution needed. Yeah, and I think it's important to discuss with your own self and with your partner, like what are your needs? Because everybody's different and some people like extremely happy to do it all weekend long. And some people feel like, oh, I miss my life. I miss my old good days. <laughs> exactly. And you know, this is how I concluded I can't do this anymore because exactly to your point, some parents love doing that. And so they have joy in it and they have a positive attitude to it. Whereas I was starting to get not resentful, but a little bit like, oh, you know, again, I have to drive you there and I have to take your little brother with you all the time. And, you know, then I'm like thinking, well, what am I projecting to him? Like, is he going to enjoy or is he going to start feeling guilty that he's going to soccer because I'm like negative about it? So I try to be conscious of that, too. Yes. One of these days, I'll definitely get together my mom's friends and say, okay, this is the rule. Whoever is beginning to talk about their kids, like there will be a little punishment. Let's say you buy appetizers for the table or something, right? Just like try to avoid it entirely sometimes. Nice break sometimes. Have you had an event in your life, Steph, that truly changed the direction of your life or made you rethink your life? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest event from my life, I mean, for sure, I would say the positive event of my life was meeting my now husband. It obviously changed my life because we built a life together. He gave me two amazing boys and so forth, and we traveled the world. So that's amazing. On the more uh, challenging part, I lost my dad very suddenly. I lived in Germany, so I was, I just had started my career. Like I was two years roughly, not even two years in my in first job. And my dad passed away very suddenly from a heart attack and uh, he was very sporty and he was a marathon runner. I had spoken to him literally a few hours before. So that definitely was a big shock because I got the phone call at night. And, you know, as I said, I had spoken to him maybe at eight o'clock at night. So I was like, what, what, what's happened? And my world kind of collapsed for sure. It was also challenging because my parents were very passionate together. They were a very strong couple. So it was very difficult to see, you know, my mom lose uh, her other half, very honestly. And uh, I got a really big gap that came into my life after this event because my dad used to call me almost every day. 
it kind of is a habit that he took on. So even as I was living abroad, he would call me in the morning, just checking you're awake. And, you know, very often we'd have a little chat and suddenly the phone call stopped. And my mom is not necessarily the, the telephone type of person. So I had no more phone calls and I was really, I felt a big gap, a big emptiness. And it taught me a lot. It taught me to appreciate life in the present moment enjoy the little things and I might have become quite excessive from it because I tend to enjoy happy moments as much as I can uh, just in case you know and if tomorrow ends then that's it I've made the most of it yeah you talked about your dad and you used the word epicurean lifestyle like he had that lifestyle can you talk about that yeah, totally. So, I mean, Epicurious, I think that's how we say in English. And uh, so for just to make sure everybody knows, but he's obviously a, an ancient Greek philosopher from before Christ. And um, he had this whole philosophy about living a self-sufficient life surrounded by friends, which for me sounds like a pretty good description for living a vibrant life. <laughs> And I saw my father and actually my mom is like this as well. Like we were very brought up in this kind of philosophy of enjoying life. And it goes back to enjoying those things that I've just been talking about. A good meal, good wine, and, you know, share that enjoyment with people that you appreciate, whether it's friends or family. And that's something he definitely handed on to me and I'm a, I absolutely love socializing and I get a lot of uh, vibrancy from socializing with people. And that's what uh, I would describe as Epicurean is really enjoying the good things of life with the people around you that you appreciate. And even the simple things, right? It's not saying, oh no, we can't host dinner party because our living room table is too small. It's like, you make it happen. Yes. Totally. We've done that. We've taken the garden table inside, put a table plus on it. You can always make it work. And some of these are the best dinner parties, actually. That's so true. And I love, like, I was looking up the definition of Epicurean because so often some people assume that it's something like luxurious or indulgent. You just eat this uh, caviar all day long. But it's actually so the way that the philosophers describe it is that it's not about finding enjoyment in money, but it's focusing on friendships, mindfulness, meditation, and learning how to deal with criticism. What are you noticing like in corporate America versus like corporate Europe? Uh, how are people handling criticism and how are people delivering criticism? I've definitely noticed a, a difference in delivering criticism. I would say the French tend to be more direct. They tend to say what they think with no filter. Even myself, I've learned that, I've experienced that it can come across as quite sharp and insensitive, even if it's not that is not the intent when this is delivered, but it's just um, a way of talking that has no filter and is, you know, it's more straight to the point, right? And people do this respectively, so people don't really get offended by it because it's kind of something they're used to and it's it can be mutual, right? Whereas here, I, I see people being very careful in how they deliver feedback and always try and package it with positive at the start, positive at the end. And then obviously there's a nice aspect to it because you try and make sure, you know, the person doesn't get hurt and you, you have genuine care for the feeling. But I feel sometimes the outcome is the feedback or the criticism isn't clear. 
So as the recipient, sometimes I'll be like, okay, so what do you mean exactly? Like, and I'd almost like, can you just tell me more directly what you want to say? Like, it's fine. I can take it. So it's definitely uh, quite different in that sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, like for U.S. educated, like born and raised in the the USA, uh, I think it's a very good reminder that if you're dealing with people from different cultures, maybe just asking if they prefer direct feedback, because I very much prefer just direct feedback, right? Not judgmental, like facts, facts, facts. And this is what I need, need, need versus like feeling like I'm not sure what they try to say. Do they are they upset with me or are they happy with me? I don't understand. Exactly. And vice versa, I would say anyone coming in here is making sure you ask people or you tell people up front, hey, th- this is the way I tend to talk and give feedback. I know it can come across quite direct, but please let me know if you feel I'm too direct and let me know if you would like me to have a different style and adapting yourself as well. Because, yeah, everyone's every country and culture is a bit different. And um, as a guest, I would say to the host culture, I feel I have to also learn and adapt myself. It's not me who's got to say, hey, we're going to do it my way now. And this is what I love is like learning about these nuances and adopting them. I find that very exciting. Excellent point that we also need to take responsibility, understand our differences, communicate the differences and ask for feedback because that's how we learn. It's all about communication, like communicating and keeping the lines of communication open. And I love keeping the lines communication open. Also, I love leaving your life open. And that's why I ask you to do Vibrant Life Scan. This is the tool that I've developed. And thank you for completing that. What surprised you if there, if there was anything that surprised you as you completed the uh, Vibrancy Life Assessment? I mean, one of the things for sure that surprised me was that I need to spend more time on hobbies, on on time off work. Like I work too much and, you know, I'm passionate. I love what I do. I'm very dedicated, very professional, but I definitely clearly don't have balance in that. And I clearly need to carve out more time for personal hobbies or family time or looking after doing things with my children. So I think that was the most uh, striking one. So what would you like to do more or less to live a more vibrant life? What I would love to do is because I get in the, into the hamster wheel of work Monday to Friday, I usually arrive on a Friday, take my nice glass of wine to wind down. And then I start thinking, okay, what are we going to do this weekend? You know, but it's already Friday night. And I think a couple of things I'd like to do is I think I would like to plan something during the week once in a while, maybe not every week, but once in a while during the week to break the week with something fun. And it doesn't have to be crazy, but having an activity or dinner or making sure I don't work late every single night and every day looks the same, because I think that just breaks the week and it makes the second half, you get energized again for the second half. And then, yeah, plan something fun, you know, on the weekend ahead of time, like be a little bit more purposeful. I plan my week at work very ahead. I've got a busy schedule and I need to do this a little bit more for my personal life. (laughs) And what I learned that works really well for me, because I'm the same way, like during the week, I'm so focused on work. That's like, it seems like, oh, the weekend, I'll figure it out later. So if you just spend like 10 minutes on a Wednesday night and you have it like Wednesday night, I'm going to schedule my activities for the weekend. And then on Friday, you can tweak a little bit, you know, you can do something, but basically planning it in advance, ideally Wednesday. 
or earlier. No, exactly. So definitely doing more fun stuff on the personal side, not just work. And I really think that you should give yourself so much credit, not just to you, but to your husband, to your kids, because in so many ways, you are living the dream. You've been able to raise a family while building your career, while changing the countries like so many times. And what did you learn throughout this process? Well, it's a word that's definitely a bit overused, but uh, I think the thing I've learned the most is resilience. Like my resilience, I think, has been tested to the max. I guess there's no max, so there could be a lot more. But the last few years, especially with the work from home situation and so forth, it's just made me stronger, you know, and it made me, I would say I was always open-minded, but it's opened my perspective. Living in different country opens your perspective. You meet people from all over the world. You learn from different perspectives. You learn about different nuances. And uh, I think that is so rich and um, it's just made my life better overall. And maybe you are less attached to materialistic things because maybe you're going to move to another country. Maybe you want, but you can't take your house with you and all your stuff and your cars. And so you're not maybe even as motivated by those kind of uh, materialistic things. I mean, listen, I'm uh, I'm almost 43 and I still don't own my own house. So, <laughs> but why would you? Why would you? I know, and but I have moments even today. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, look, I'm I'm over forty, and everybody has a house that they redecorated, and and I haven't. And sometimes I do compare myself, and I have this guilt that I don't have the dog that I would love, and that my kids would love, and I don't have I don't own the house, but then I don't give maybe my children this stability because their grandparents are not around them every weekend and so forth. So. There is guilt in this and, you know, it's a sacrifice in one way, but I feel I give, you know, to myself and to my children something else, like exploring a country, all the road trips we've been doing in the Pacific Northwest, all the different food we've tried, the new encounters we've made. I mean, this is fantastic for me and that's what makes my life more vibrant. So this is the path I've chose to live a vibrant life. And obviously you're doing so many things, right? Because first of all, so many people would think that this is a dream just to have kids and be able to just like pack up. Okay, let's go. New country. Here we come. Right. And that's amazing. I also think it's amazing that you are 43 because you don't look older than like 28 stuff. So to wrap it up, we have a couple of things. But first of all, give us some tips how to look so vibrant at 43. Anything like French secrets, anything that we need to know? Well, there's no real French secret, I promise you. Like, I would say the secret is enjoying the good things of life. And I keep going on about it, but good food, good wine, I think that's what maintains us. <laughs> I think in America, so often we setting these goals for ourselves and we say, well, I'm going to be happy when I move to my dream house and then I'll be happy. And I'll be happy when I get my promotion versus like, I'll be happy this Sunday because I'm going to host this amazing dinner party and we're going to have great conversations and we're going to argue about politics and we're going to yell so loud, you know, everybody's going to hear us. So yeah, it's just sort of like creating these experiences in the moment versus this kind of like a goal that you need to achieve something to be happy. Yeah. When you look at your international experience and the lessons that you learn, what are just some pieces of advice that you would give to your American friends, like how to live a more vibrant life, like very practical, like what we should do? 
I would say to be more confident. I think my confidence built over time, but I still have issues sometimes. Uh, and another thing I learned and uh, I still stand by is if you don't ask, you don't get. And so don't wait that someone's going to come and serve you what you want. Ask for it and make it happen, basically. Believe in yourself to not be intimidated by others and not compare yourself to others. I think we've talked a little bit about this in the example of moms or in career. I would say don't look at others because everyone's unique. You are unique and you follow your own path and it doesn't have to be the same as somebody else and, and celebrate your strengths, whatever they are. Everybody's different and everybody has strengths and they might not all be the same which is totally fine and thank god actually not everybody's got the same strengths and and celebrate those i think we spend too much time focusing on our areas of development or weaknesses instead of celebrating our own strengths and, and if we want to celebrate with weekly sunday dinners but it seems like okay what do i do do i just invite people and provide pizza or I slave and I work so hard and it's my Sunday. What is your advice? Like how to make it sort of effortless and pleasant? I would say do what works for you at the end, especially you, you're the one inviting. So that's already generous of you, right? So do what works for you. For me personally, I love cooking. It's kind of a way to meditate. When I cook, I think without thinking and I'm very relaxed and I love cooking for others. It's my way of sharing love. I won't call it uh, a chore to spend three hours cooking for people that uh, I'm looking forward to have around the table. But, you know, you can also make simple meal very quickly. You can roast a chicken and roast some vegetables and do the dessert the night before. And it's, it's kind of a quick one. Or if pizza works, do pizza and don't feel guilty about it because own it. I would say own it in whatever you do, own it. And again, not always easy to apply it to oneself and I'm not the best at it, but it's like own it and be comfortable with it. Own it, do what works best for you. Don't feel guilty and don't wait for some perfect circumstances. When, 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 just do it. Exactly. Timing is never perfect. So don't wait for perfect timing. Make it happen. Nothing is ever perfect. And you are such a perfect podcast show guest. Steph, where can people connect with you? I know that your last name is probably will take me like a couple of minutes just to spell it out. So it will be in the name of the podcast. And it also will be on vibrantlifeunlock.com. So how can people connect with you? I would say the easiest is on LinkedIn. That would be the best way to connect with me, send me a message, and I'd be happy to get a connection like this anytime. Wonderful. Well, it's been so fun. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you so much, Anastasia, and all the best. I've been uh, really enjoying this session. Thank you for listening to Vibrant Life Unlocked. Submit your questions and explore free resources at vibrantlifeunlocked.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and review it on your favorite podcast platform, as well as connect on social at Vibrant Life Unlocked. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.